The scripture is also printed in the bulletin. You'll find it uh, there under the order of service. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is God's Word. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, now we approach Your Word reverently. We thank You for all that we have learned in 1 John. And as we conclude today, we pray that we can cap it off with those things that bring everything into focus and point us in the direction that we should go. So we look to Your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as I indicated, we close our study of 1 John today. John's main themes have been the incarnation of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, sanctification, the command to love one another, the warning concerning heretics, and the hope of eternal life. As we conclude, I want to call your attention to eight times that the Apostle uses the phrase, we know. Now, you'll say, I only see it written three times here. Well, that's because uh, sometimes he begins a whole list of things with we know. But if we break those out and apply it to each time there's something to know, then we'll understand that there's really eight times that he speaks of that. Let me just rehearse those for you. In uh, verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. In the same verse, we know that Jesus protects or keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him or reclaim him. In verse 19, we know that we are of God. Again in verse 19, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, We know that the Son of God has come. Again, verse 20. We know Him who is true, His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, verse 20. We know that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. We know that, uh, this is verse 21, we know the challenge that Christians face. Guard yourselves from idols. So, you can see how John, the writer here, brings all these no's, K-N-O-W-S, all these no's together. And in a way, this is how he summarizes things for us and how we want to summarize it for ourselves today. So there's eight of them, and we'll have to move somewhat swiftly, but I hope it will all come across very clearly and that we can 
apply these things in our lives even as we know them. So the the first of these is in verse 18. And I call it consistent godliness. And that's the positive way of saying it. Uh, John said, we know that no one who is born of God continues to sin. Uh, But that means on a positive scale that uh, that person who knows God will be consistent in the godly life. Doesn't mean that uh, he's perfect. Doesn't mean there's not some serious errors, some real trouble that comes and, and great sins that need to be forgiven. But on the whole, as far as the thrust of the life goes, this person is born of God and does not continue to live a life of sin. Now, John has already spoken in the Gospel, and and again, we're summarizing things here today, but uh, John has already acknowledged that Christians sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's already been established. And John says, we know this. We know we're not perfect. But we also know that uh, God has given us the grace to live a consistent life of godliness. And that is the important thing for us to see. So again, the first thing then that John says we know is that we don't continue to sin, but rather we engage in consistent godliness. So we need to examine our lives today. Do do I see that consistency? Uh, If there's doubt, there's kind of a cloud over the situation, then again, confess your sins. Take them to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want not to continue to sin, but I want to please You. I want to live a godly life. Then secondly, I've uh, entitled this part of it, Protection. We know that uh, Jesus, He uses the pronoun here, He, but... Uh, We know that Jesus protects him, that is, who protects the believer, and the evil one does not touch him, and I I like the word, does not reclaim him. Because if you're saved, then that means at one point you are in the grip of of Satan. Uh, You you were of your father the devil, as uh, is written also in the Gospels. And uh, Jesus uh, said that, of course, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But uh, if that's the case, it doesn't mean that you stay there. If God saves you, He takes you from that and then takes you into Himself. And notice how often in the passage it says we're in Him. We find ourselves connected permanently to Him. And if that's the case, then Satan can't reclaim you. can't say, oh, come on back, drag you back. Now you may say, well, I know some people that uh, professed to be believers, professed to be Christians, and then they just gave it up and went back and lived like they used to. But don't forget, John has already said, again, we're summarizing here in this particular part of the the, uh, letter, uh, John has already said that uh, there were those who were among us, but they went out from us. That is, they said, goodbye, we don't want to be a part of you anymore. And John says, well, they're never among us in the first place. But if you're truly a believer, if your heart has been changed and you belong to God, if you're in Christ, the devil can't reclaim you. He can't bring you back. He can't take you away. He's not stronger than the Lord. In John chapter 10, that's in John's Gospel, the Apostle said that 
that, and he's speaking for Jesus here, of course, <clears throat> that uh, the Father has you in His hand and nobody can take you out of His hand. So, protection, you see. Jesus, who is the only begotten, He was born of God, but different from the rest of us. But uh, the only begotten saves and protects those who are born of God by the Spirit and uh, are children of God through adoption, as we've pointed out before. But this is His work. He counts us as His brothers and sisters, and He will indeed protect us. So that all Satan's efforts to reclaim His former servants are what? Are defeated, are overruled, are not allowed to take place. And though we still have our responsibility to pursue godliness, to resist the devil, it is ultimately the fact that the Lord has us and will not let us go. And we can be comforted in that. When, when we say, oh, I just think myself to be such a wretched Christian, not even worthy of the name Christian, remember that ultimately it's up to God who says, I will keep you. I will protect you. You're safe in Him. And thirdly, I've entitled this a heart for God. Verse 19, we know that we are of God. If you have a heart for God, it means you have a new heart. The old heart was not for God. It was for self. It was for evil. It was uh, enchained, enslaved unto evil. The Lord has broken those chains. He's, He's taken you out of that and given you a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord says, I'll take that heart of stone, I'll take it away and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that wants to do the things of God. So that this new heart then speaks of the inner inclination of the believer to love and obey God. Again, we have to examine ourselves. Do I really love the Lord? Do I want to obey the Lord? Maybe there are times when I don't feel that way, but overall, is this what my life is all about? To love and obey God. Do I have a heart for God? Do you know that you are of God? And you see, the believer is always unhappy. The unbeliever is... I'm sorry, the believer is always unhappy. The believer is always in a wretched state when he fails the Lord. The unbeliever just shrugs it off. Maybe he has a conscience. Maybe he feels some guilt. But overall, he doesn't really care whether God is for him or against him. He just wants to do what he thinks is best, what satisfies him the most, what caters to his flesh and his ungodly instincts. But the believer has a heart for God. We know that we are of God. And John is saying to his audience here, if you're really a believer, if you haven't said goodbye and gone somewhere else, If you're not going along living in sin and rejecting God, then you can know that you are of God. And then fourthly, we have, and I use this as the title of the message today, the blunted power of the evil one. Oh, what a scary verse this is in verse 19, or part of that verse, that we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In the book of Job, where there's pictured a gathering of created beings in heaven, primarily angelic beings, 
And uh, Satan comes before God. And God says, where have you been, Satan? And he says, I've been on the earth, walking to and fro upon the earth. In other words, he's saying to God, you turned that over to me. Now, God didn't really turn it over to him, but that's his attitude. You've turned it over to me, and I am inspecting and operative in this domain of mine. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, any honest evaluation of the world at any point in history, as a matter of fact, concludes that the world is dominated by the evil one. Why are there wars? Why are there strifes? Why are there all kinds of disasters and and evil things in the world? Because either Satan has instigated them under the allowance of God, or God has allowed some of these things uh, to take place. But the point is that the world in general is under judgment. The world is uh, in rebellion against God and feeling the effects of that. Anybody who comes up with a different idea is just believing his dreams. Just coming up with imaginary things, bluebirds and flowers and things that look good. But the fact is that the world's not like that. The world is in the power of the evil one. But we who are believers, we're also dominated. We're also in someone's power. But we're in God's power. We are dominated by the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are dominated by His plan and purpose to be victorious. Now that song that we sang today, the very militaristic uh, hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, is not talking about swords and spears and guns and bombs. It's talking about the power of the Gospel. And Christ is gaining His victory. From victory to victory, we give praise to His name. Believers are dominated by Christ. And we live in a kingdom, a kingdom now, that only has a spiritual existence, but it is nevertheless a kingdom that one day will include everything material and immaterial, spiritual and uh, touchable as it were, sensual. It's all going to be His kingdom. And uh, the power of the evil one then will have been blunted. This power that now controls the world will no longer control the world because King Jesus will reign And all His enemies will be under His feet, as it were, symbolically. And in fact, all of them will be done away with. And Christ will rule and reign. His kingdom will come, even as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Believers are dominated, alright. But not by the power of the evil one, but by the power of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in the fifth of these no's, as it were, we have the lifesaver. We know that the Son of God has come. Just imagine, if you will, those poor souls who were in the Alamo years ago in Texas, if you know the story. And they sent out word, we're surrounded by the enemy. They have thousands of more people than than we have. We only have a few hundred. But we're surrounded by them. And uh, can't you come and rescue us? And they waited. 
And uh, they got a word here, well, so-and-so is coming. And then they got another word, well, no, they were defeated at a certain point and never got here. And then they said, well, maybe help will come from another direction. But it never got there. But uh, those who know God and follow God have no such disappointment. Why? Because the lifesaver, the rescuer, has come. Can you imagine what it would have been like for those Texans, or Texicans they're sometimes called, to have seen coming over the horizon uh, the armies of Sam Houston or whoever might have been leading them in that day, saying, here we are, and, and driving against those uh, surrounding forces uh, uh, that were laying siege to the Alamo. What a joy it would have been. And yet we have this, this truth from God, a double truth, if you will. First of all, Christ has come. He entered the world. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in Emmanuel, God with us. We believe that this is our salvation. And we don't have to say we're hoping that, that God will come riding over the horizon because He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. But the other side of that is, the, the double portion of it is, that He's coming again. And He says, uh, I came once and I did my work of salvation. I died upon the cross. I paid for the sins of my people. I rose from the dead gloriously. I've been in heaven directing things and I'm coming again. So that not only do we look back and say, oh, it was wonderful that Christ came. And it was important that He came. If He hadn't come the first time, there would be no salvation. But He's coming again. And He's going to save us. He's made us to understand that He is the lifesaver. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is the lifesaver. We know that the Son of God has come. And furthermore, we know that He's coming again also. And then we have the fact that uh, God has made Himself known. When you stop and think about it, it's a marvelous thing that you can know God. For most of history, people thought it was impossible to know God. If, if they did believe in God at all, they thought He was so far away that He could only be reached by intermediaries or that He could only be understood in some oblique way. And yet, God says, no, I want to be known of you. And this is John's great uh, emphasis to his readers here. You can know God. Uh, don't you know God? Don't you realize that you can know Him better? The Apostle Paul said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. Yes, God has made Himself known. He is knowable because He has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the apostles said to Jesus, I think it was Philip, he said, well, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, have I been with you such a long time, Philip, and yet you do not know me. You need to understand you can know me. If you know me, if you interact with me, then you can know God. And you'll just know Him better and better all the time. And you say, well, He was here and those disciples and others knew Him, but then He left. Yes, but He also left us His Holy Spirit as a gift. He gave us the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, that we may know Him, that we may interact with Him, 
And He speaks to us from the Scriptures. And He applies them in our lives. And if we know God, we only know Him truly through Jesus Christ. We can know God through the One who condescended and who descended to know His people and His people know Him. God is unknowable to those who think themselves so without the need of Him, so much in rebellion against Him, they'll never know Him really. But to those who come to Him humbly and in faith and trust in Christ, they will, they do know Him. God made known. We know Him who is true, it says in verse 20. We know His Son, Jesus Christ. And then, number seven, eternal life. We know this, we know this Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Jesus proved Himself to be the true God. How so? Well, by His miracles. By all the godly things that He did that no one but God can do. By raising the dead. By walking on the water. By uh, uh, giving orders to the, the wind and the sea. And everything obeyed Him. Why? How could that happen? Because He is God. He proved Himself to be the true God. And if He's the true God, then He's also the life giver. The one who gives eternal life. We said before He was the life saver, saving us from the wrath of God, forgiving our sins. But He's the, the life giver in the sense that if we need life, He's got it for us. And we all need it. There's no one that doesn't need it. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was preaching and he was opposed by numbers of people. And he said, are you crazy? Do you count yourselves unworthy of eternal life? That didn't persuade them. But the point was that uh, if you want eternal life, you have to go to the one who can give it. He's the life giver. He is eternal life. Jesus' greatest miracle, of all the miracles that He did, His greatest miracle was rising from the dead Himself. Because it was impossible for death to hold Him, the Bible says. And ascending on high, and He said before He left, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And friends, that's eternal life. His miracle of the resurrection, His ascension into heaven, into eternal realms, means that that's where we're going if we're in Him. We know this Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. If you want that life, then you must be in Him. How do I get in Him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust your life to Him and you will be saved. John is all about not getting along real well in this world and surviving all the persecution and all things. He's about going to heaven. He's about everlasting life. We know this Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. And then one more point, And that is we know the challenge that lies before us. For while we're looking ahead to eternal life and we're looking back to His first coming, and hoping for that second coming, the challenge right now 
is guard yourself from idols. Now, anything that's against Christ, anything that takes the place of God, is an idol. And there always are these temptations that come. The evil one calls us to deny the superlatives pertaining to Jesus. Well, He's not really God. Well, He's not really the God of heaven and earth, the Creator. Well, He's not really the truth. Well, He's not really the giver of eternal life. That's the challenge. Either either the devil says there's no such thing as eternal life or there's no such thing as God. Even if that comes along, we have to say, look out. For that's not the truth. That's not the truth. The evil one calls us to deny anything that glorifies Jesus. Instead, he would have us worship anything but Jesus. The Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will never be disappointed. The Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The scripture says that we will be received by Him into the place that He's prepared for us. But guard yourself against idols, against people who say you don't need Jesus, but we have something else for you. Who say, well, you're the only thing to worship. Just take care of yourself and provide for whatever satisfies you. And that's all that counts. Or on the other hand, to say, just be a great citizen of the world. Be an altruistic individual and help the sick and feed the hungry and all these things. And that's all you need. That's just as much idolatry as bowing down before some idol of stone or wood or uh, providing for yourself, however you want to look at it. This is the challenge. John says, we know there's a challenge, do we not? Let us then gird ourselves up. Yes, looking to the past of what Jesus did, looking to the future of what Jesus will do, but right now, stay faithful to Him. And He'll protect you. He will blunt the power of the evil one. Ultimately, He will save you, but stay true to Him no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, it's so uh, much of a challenge for us these days. We thank You for all that John has taught us and the ways that He's encouraged us and the, the truths that have been known. And still, Lord, we are so weak that we're often led astray. But to bring us back to Yourself, blunt the power of the evil one, and give us the victory as You have Your victory, Lord. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.